Hello, everyone, and good morning again. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Welcome back and happy Tuesday. Oh, almost the holiday wow. season. And Someone is ready for a break. Oh, man, I am. I am raring. <laughs> Someone is ready to be Someone done with work. Jolly. <laughs> Tis the season, gentlemen. Well, this is what happens when you work really hard all year long, and they're like, you have too many vacation days. You need to use it or lose it. And then you're like, oh, shoot. I've got all <laughs> oh, my vacation at the end of the year. <laughs> if only I didn't have unlimited time off. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how, that's how your company works. Oh, the voice you just did could absolutely be a Christmas character. <laughs> like what, the voice the opener? Of Happy Tuesday Past or something. I don't know. Yeah. Happy <laughs> the, Tuesday the Past. Voice oh, wow. The Happy Tuesday Past. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is a thing, huh? Yeah, you never read that story as a kid? Yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. What are we talking about today, Mike? So today's our main topic is going through an implementation article. So that Microsoft has on their documentation, implementation planning for your Power BI environment. Particularly, there's actually a lot of sections in this one. So we're just going to start with strategic planning. That's kind of this, the area we're going to talk about initially here. So very good article. Love the content that's in here. And this follows a lot of what guidance you've already probably seen in the adoption roadmap. Maybe weaving a couple more ideas together between the executive sponsor, sponsor the center of excellence, how to really get things done in order to roll out your Power BI environment. Great article. Um, I don't know who's written this one. Actually, I didn't, I didn't check out the, the writers of this article. This feels like says one contributor, Peter Myers. Peter Myers. He's done the whole thing. No, so Kurt actually messaged us and let us know that the contributor is always the last person to edit the article. Does not mean they wrote it. Yeah, yeah, but I thought like contributors to the article, right? Like it Mm -hmm. it logs all of them. That was my understanding. Like you look at other technical documentation, and one hundred percent, there's always more than one. Yeah. That's a good um, question. Kurt, no, Kurt commented on our last video and, and he said, uh, love the podcast, guys. Uh, just letting you guys know that I did write the article. This was our last uh, adoption oh. one on the change management. Yeah, okay. I know. I think well, that speaks to I love both these guys. So I <laughs> like, well, sorry for the confusion. <laughs> if you wrote this, let us know because yeah, you're awesome. Real. Yeah, so I it, it has flavors of Kurt. I think written in, I mean, I've read enough of his stuff that I feel like some of this aligns to like his language and how he talks about things and the organization of thoughts here. So um, I can't tell based on the graphics alone if it is him. Uh, however, he did he did recently release an article that he that now uses Figma for everything that he does graphically. Really? So now he uses Figma, has changed his workflow, and now is almost 100% using Figma on everything now, which I'd highly recommend. It's a great tool, and I use it for all my graphic stuff as well. I mean, Kurt, if that is you. the case, if that is the case, Microsoft, come on. Like, You've got to put more people on the contra- contributors. Got to like, get them in the contributors there, for sure. Why Why is your learn.microsoft only allowing one contributor? That seems like a miss. Anyways, yeah. I anyway, digress. Moving on. Moving That's on. That's our main topic. You guys That's our main topic. Any, any openers today? We do. Some things to talk about? Let's talk about, uh, so one article I just want to bring up here really quick, and I think Tommy's got another opener as well. I have been whining about this feature for probably about five years. Um, pretty much since I've been building lake houses. Um, there, th- This is a, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Chris Webb has just recently gone out to talk about the Delta tables and how you can use Delta tables to incrementally refresh or load data in Power BI t- 
uh, semantic models. So the article is, let me put the article here in the chat window. This is the article that I'm referring to. Very good article. Just came out. This is using the new directlink.table function from M. And directlink.table is able to read the definition of the uh, delta table. And if you are using the same partition pattern of the incremental refresh, which is, you know, by day, if you, if you partition your information the same way, you can directly link Power BI, the semantic model, right to delta tables, and it will, quote unquote, partition prune, not access the files that are not required to load the data into Power BI, thus speeding up incremental loading immensely using delta tables alone. Hmm. So here's what people are going to be like, wow, wow, Michael, that's so technical. Here's the, here's the crux of this thing, right? Delta is amazing. It's this great format. It stores tons of data. It's supposed to be hyperscale volume. Up until this point, you were required to have some sort of compute engine to read these Delta table things. So initially, Delta table was made for Spark. So Spark was able to read it. SQL serverless started reading it. So there was two compute engines that had this. Now, this also should work for Power Query. So now Power Query is joining the fun here. So a Power Query online or any of the data flows, they will also be able to use this tech. And now the semantic model also is a compute engine that can talk to Delta tables directly, read them, and not read the partitions that are not inside the M query to load the data. This is huge. And if you're wanting to save money, if you're wanting to do this more efficiently, this feature alone lets you kill the entire Synapse environment. You don't need Synapse anymore. So this feature alone, to, so what I had done in the past, architecturally wise, was build tables and data uh, using Databricks. I would use a pipeline from Synapse to run the pipeline to orchestrate the things together. This feature was not available, so I had to use SQL Serverless from Synapse to go access the data. Okay, no big deal. However, with this feature, I now no longer need the SQL serverless, and I also don't need Fabric to read it either. I can just have a semantic model go pick up the data that I need. So I'm doing some testing on this initially. I haven't gotten through my test all the way through, um, but I'm trying to prove that this works and it can talk to tables that are made outside of Power BI um, Premium or outside of Fabric to make sure that this all still works the way I would expect it to. So really good article. I think this is a very pivotal moment for Power BI because this is going to fundamentally change your architecture. This is an architectural change that you can adjust. So I think architectures now for solid IT groups should be thinking about um, Azure Data Factory. They should be thinking about making Databricks your data engine tool that you're going to do the manipulation with. And then you should be looking at this feature to then from those completed tables, picking up your data and lifting it into Power BI. So really cool feature, really like what's going on here. Um, highly recommend the read on the article. Um, this will change how you do things. This, I mean, this to me, this is literally the game changer. This goes back to our to conversation. This, oh, yeah. this goes back to our conversation. We've talked about the like unintended consequence of fabric is the elevation of all of the features in Power BI. No, no, no. It, the unintended consequence of fabric has been Delta is on everything. Right. To, to me, like that to me, that's the secret sauce that has been making this 
so I much agree. better to work with and make me even really interested in using fabric. All the other things you had, like the, the other things that are in there are like, I'm, you know, okay, they're there, but like I had them already in Synapse and in ADF. I, I, everything we've looked at now so far has been existing somewhere else inside the Power BI and the Microsoft ecosystem. Yes and no, but Power Query, the elevation of Power Query as part of one of the major ETL tools or allowing all this, they are really elevating Power Query here. I completely agree with you with Delta Tables. You're just going to see more with Power Query being part of the major process, not just in the semantic model. I disagree. I don't think, I don't think this is an elevation of Power Query. I think this is just Power Query catching up to other more modern tools. I mean, to me, right. Power Query could not talk Delta Tables Initially, right. Power Query was Initially. running CSV files to yeah. a lake house. So in one way, Power Query hasn't gotten any new features. It's still not parallel threaded. It can't do things multiple times. It's it's not as fast as these other engines that are able to do this. So it's still not quite there. It's definitely getting better. Um, but this this is a it's it's the the common thread that I see is different here is Delta. Mm -hmm. The VertiPack engine can now read Delta tables with this new M function. We now have Delta tables being produced from data flows. That's huge. We now have uh, this whole thing called Direct Lake, and we're now able to repack these Delta files in a way that Power BI can read them more efficiently. Like everything I see here kind of indicates to me like Microsoft has embraced the Delta story and they're building on all the products and it's making everything easier to talk to each other, which is huge. The fact that it's accessible, yeah, is yes. a major, uh, and I think I think this is what Microsoft's figuring out too. To your point, they're like, "Oh, Delta, everything! Wow, this could actually work in this other product. Well, let's try this out." And now that brings a whole, to your point a whole new architecture, which yes. I think I think we're seeing some of the features that they weren't intending from the onset. Now, because they're they're realizing that they connect these dots, they see these bridges. They're like, oh, well, we can actually create this feature in something that was not planned, like in Power Query. Or if we do Delta everything, that opens up a whole other more doors. Correct. And there's also, I mean, every major data tool that is um, out there at this point um, is is it's either Snowflake or it's something from Power BI. I think at this point for for reporting purposes. So I mean. Now that Microsoft is doing this Delta format, the Delta format is not far away from the Iceberg format is which Snowflake uses. And it's the same big tech Spark kind of technology as well. So I could very much see it being a easy integrator between all things that are Power BI and it just starts to work better. Anyways, very good article. This is very important for you to, to read up on, understand it. This will fundamentally change how you design things. Um, and essentially it could speed up or um, increase your speed on importing models because you're now able to provide an incremental refresh down to a Delta table directly. All right. That's a that big one, a, Mike. It, I thought, yeah. I don't, I'm so far in the weeds on the things. Um, I, other people don't see this. I don't think other people will see how big of a move this is and how important this is for people to understand. Like you need to understand what this is doing. This is important to understand. That's all I mean, I'm going to say. I mean, you just told everybody, so now they... I know, that's why I'm saying on the podcast. And now everybody knows. <laughs> all five of you will now know how important this is, and you will go and learn it and save... All, so this will this will save you a lot of time, I think, and money on your processing of data if you start embracing this and figuring out how this works for your team. This, this awesome. could open the scale of volume of data to what your models are doing pretty easily, I think. Anyways, 
All right. That being said, uh, Tommy, you had like a scenario, yeah. a kind of an, another opener here as well. Yeah. So on the other side of this coin, I'll try to keep it quick because we got a lot to cover today. Um, we're dealing, uh, I was brought in with a client a little later in the game of the adoption. And it's one of those scenarios of how do you show the value of Power BI if Power BI is getting implemented? I don't want to say wrong, uh, wrong, but without best practices. So the scenario is I've been brought in. I'm trying to work on these calculations that are taking forever to load. They're like, hey, solve it with DAX. So, okay, we're going through it. But you realize many to many relationships, two fact tables relating to each other, uh, um, you know, bi-directional filtering. And we're going through, we're going through some of the DAX best practices. We're trying to go through and get the accuracy of the number needed with also making this actually show up in the report and trying to prove to the client we're trying to really prove in the project, no, Power BI works, right? But they're coming from Tableau. They're coming from other sources. And this is still the other side of the coin. Microsoft's coming out with, I, I kind of love the contrast here. Microsoft's coming out with these amazing, this milestone today, uh, or the milestone Chris Webb talks about, yet we're still seeing projects, teams, and organizations behind the ball with best practices. Um, I just want to ask you guys, how do you handle situations when you're trying to say the value of what power bi can do when the best practices are not there and you see the frustration already this is so common well this is um i think what you're observing is something i see quite often yeah. is companies come in and overestimate their capabilities in power bi that's a great way to put it right so they're, they're the companies will show up and say how good are you in power bi or, or what do you know so far Models are not in star schemas. Things don't work very well. We can't get all the data in quick enough. Uh, things start failing, right? So um, I've had a number of clients that have started with Power BI. They thought they knew how to run it, or they had me build some small things for them, and I handed it over to them, and they didn't give it to someone who actually has studied or thought about Power BI. So um, one, of the, one of the service offerings I give as a consultant is, hey, I will help you hire the person to do this full-time in your company. because you don't even know if you're a hiring manager, you don't even know what you need to ask to understand if this person even knows what Power BI is doing. Hmm. So how can you hire the right person to continue to support technical things that you've never done before? I, I, in one way, I feel like a lot of companies are just uh, a little bit naive there, right? Oh, I, I went through, you know, they say they know how to do Power BI. They've ta they talk that they can make visuals. They can do yeah, but it's way more than that. It's, it's modeling. It's understanding architecture data, star schemas. The, there are deeper questions you need to ask. And, you know, having someone on the inside who actually knows how to do this is very helpful. So there's two ways this goes. One way is I've seen the company embraces Power BI and they say, well, okay, let, they are willing to listen and learn and they make changes and they, you start slowly chipping away at those main uh problem areas why is the model slow this doesn't work very well this dax is super complicated well that's because your model design's usually junk that's usually where it starts from so you help them build a better model you help them understand that you need more data shaping to, so that the power bi can run efficiently and run smoothly so that's that's one direction the other direction i've seen is companies just say this is too hard we can't figure it out power bi is not a fit for us and they leave power bi and they go back to whatever they were doing and so um, it is what it is. They've made the decision, right? But just because your company has a lack of skills 
doesn't mean the tool is insufficient. And and that's usually I find it's for me and what I've observed, it's usually a skills gap is where things get challenging. So how do you so the plan as us as consultants is how can I help you close the skill gap as soon as possible to help your team feel more confident about what we're doing? That's how I see it. I don't know. Any thoughts, Seth, on your side? Yeah, I think um, where where I've gone, and you probably have this, Tommy, to some degree, is just you know a methodology for engagement, especially if you if you see the same repetitive things over and over, because ultimately, when you're stepping in, really, it's understanding uh, what their needs are, but at right. the same time, providing options for direction, right? And right. It, like part of that, I think it, what's really helpful is having a visual representation of your basics, right? Um, here, just so you know, here's how I engage, right? Here's the first thing I look at. If we have breakdowns here, this is going to cause larger problems here. If we, if we have issues here that we need to solve, that's fine, blah, blah, blah. But that's where like the foundational things of you have, you know, power query, you know, connections that are 50 steps and all mixed up. And that's why your ingestion is slow. Right. If, if you don't fix that, then you're going to like, it's always going to take forever to load data. If you don't have the right model, right? Like you're describing, nothing's going to work well. So we have a couple options, right? So like mm -hmm. if we're in this square, what I've identified is we have a significant breakdown or an issue with the way the model is, is built. We have two, 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 two options, right? We can do, I can like, I hear what the problem is. You brought me in to solve these calculations. We can do that. I like not can't guarantee performance and we can realize like me stepping in and helping you, but you're going to, you're going to run into another problem instantly after I'm done. Right. Or because the problem exists in this foundational layer in the model, we can fix this first, then we can guarantee performance. And then after I leave, you can scale. Right. So, so you're just, I, I think it's, it would, the most important part is clearly articulating the two options because they are choosing, if they say, no, just give us the calculations, they're choosing the one that is going to create or is solve their immediate problem without solving things long term. So, and I, I love, on the report yeah, no, and it is really, I mean, it's, it's something you don't necessarily think about all the time because you expect the standard model. Um, the outcome of this, I'll, I'll just uh, let you guys know, is like we created like a rules of engagement for for their organization of, hey, your models, since this is obviously a not mm -hmm. one-time issue, your models have to follow these practices. And we're writing that down to make sure that's implemented. So these rules of engagement for any model. And funny enough, too, if you read all, any of Marco Russo or Alberto Ferrari's articles on DAX and the complications not one of them has a D standard model. They're all following a standard, whether it's a snowflake schema or star schema. Uh, I And I'll eat my words, but I don't think any article he's dealt with is like a many-to-many -many or something where it's really convoluted. It's no, all about the situation, no, right? And so, way, we, yeah. Way, way so, edge case. yeah. Yes. And that's what, the, that's what the outcome is. We've, we had a backtrack to go, look, this Power BI is straightforward and it is easy. However, you have to have your cards in place first. You have to have your house in order before yeah. we're going to be able to do, you know, uh, what the, the art of the possible. Well, the uh, question, so the question the goes back to, it's huge. Yeah. The, the question goes back to is, 
do, do these people have the ability to do the data engineering outside of Power BI? Usually the answer yeah. is no. When Power BI gets really difficult, the backend systems that you need, the engineering of the data that you need to do to make Power BI hum is not available to those users. Yeah. And, that's, oh. and that's usually a major weak point that I find. It's not, the data is not shaped correctly. And that's just foundationally, like it's a model-driven yeah. reporting engine. Mm -hmm. And if you get your model wrong, you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. And right. if you're in trouble and frustrated, that means to, like you go to any one of Alberto or um, uh, Marco's talks and, and yeah. I, I distinctly remember multiple times where it's like, if you're, if you're encountering a very challenging DAX problem, go fix your model first. You heard that <laughs> like, in Chicago. Like, yeah, yep. you can, you can solve these things with, 20 30 40 50 line pieces of code like dax code and yeah like create your own relationships within the measure and all these things or or you can go fix the problem and that and sometimes it's harder to do you, you have yeah. to reimagine re-look at like you know your model and everything you built on top of it so far but yeah i mean it's long term yeah yeah and this bodes actually pretty well with the article today and i think what we're going to be covering on tuesdays um Mike, I'll let you kind of take it away. On we, you talked about the hook, where what we're going to be doing these Tuesdays now. Yeah, we're gonna. We're, so this is transitioning into our kind of our main topic here, and I think this is a very good uh, idea here is implementation planning. So we're gonna try and do a couple series. There's a there's a lot in the implementation planning area, and that Microsoft has recently published. Um, there is strategic planning, tactical planning, solution planning, and we're just gonna tackle on Tuesdays. We're gonna do kind of like. Um, implementation Tuesdays, right? So we're going to do a couple Tuesdays here of just thinking through what these different BI strategies go through. And we're going to kind of spread them out here a bit so it won't be like back to back. But the idea here is we're going to go through this article and actually talk through, um, this is a lot of great guidance. We're finding a lot of value in holding to these ideas and working through these terms and technologies. And it's also aligning people on what is a center of excellence? What is a community practice? Who does what? What responsibilities rely where? Do you have an executive sponsor and how do you work with them, right? There's a lot of really good things here. And, you know, Microsoft has a lot of great guidance in this. They've been talking to large, very large organizations uh, who have been really like dealing with this and, and getting them into Power BI and providing a lot of support there. So they have a lot of knowledge to, to dive back into. Here's how this is going to work. So that today, um, I guess we should fully transition over then. Let's jump into the topic for today. The article that we're going to touch on here is strategic planning. Uh, part of the implementation planning uh, documentation that Microsoft has provided here. So let me, uh, I'll grab that one really, really quick. I'll put that in the chat window as well. It's also in the description of the video down below. And so here's the article. The first conversation that was last Tuesday. Right. Talking about business alignment. Yeah. It's funny. You go through this article and if you're a listener, if you've been listening to us for a, for a long time, a lot of these words here we've touched on, and I, I think about all the conversations we've had around adoption and implementation. I think that's all near and dear to our hearts. This starts off, this article starts off about goals, objectives, and what the difference is. And I love, <laughs> because if there's anything that you take away from, I think what I've learned from honestly talking to you two is we don't do anything in a vacuum, especially in data and in BI. You don't just build a model in the vacuum. And the success of business intelligence, the success of a healthy data culture starts with defining a goal and an objective, and they are not the same thing. Yeah. My my 
uh, guffaw into the microphone here <laughs> was if if you are uh, deeply ingrained in OKRs or OGSMs mm-hmm. or whatever, like <laughs> this one threw me for. I'm like, okay, wait, huh? huh? What goals are goals are the highest level, and then what? Like so, yeah. It is worth noting the purple box note, right? So understanding what the definition of a goal is versus an objective, um, and then the process. So because they they do it slight, they shift it slightly differently. Yeah, it's funny. I've been on so many strategy calls when I was internal working now, and they're implementing or doing a project around data, but it's never been defined or how they're going to measure what the goal or the uh, more importantly, the objective is it's we're doing this. And then you have this postmortem call or this closure and they're like, okay, we did it. And there's not that sense of have we actually succeeded in that? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And it probably happens more than just data. I'm imagining this is a, um, this is a virus in a lot of organizations that don't have this defined. We just, I just see it from our point of view. Um, but it's amazing how much implementation is done in technology, especially with data where it's done, but there's never been before. Like, well, why are we doing this? And what outcome should we see at the end of this? How crucial is that? And, and all, success? Uh, yeah. Well, you can't measure success if you, unless you define it. Plain yeah. and simple, right? And if, it, if it, you haven't called it out and said, here's where we're going, this is the goalpost. Or walking to that direction, how do you know if you ever got there? Yeah. You wouldn't go on a trip without a map. Right. So you're just going to start walking and not have a direction? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. I wonder, I, I was thinking about this, I was reading about it, uh, about the goals and objectives, and I was going, why is that a common cause? Why is that more often than not in business intelligence, projects are done without the measurable objectives? And going through the article and thinking about it, the first step in the strategic planning is assemble assemble a working team. So I was starting to muse on that, out of my whiteboard, started writing things down. And my first thought I kept going to is how do you know you have the right people, right? Not just the roles, but the qualities in that. And that's where I kept going. So that's my first big question I want to ask you is this starts with the effective working roles in the team and why is that so important? And more importantly, how do you know you have the right people in place? Oh, those are good questions. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, one of the main pieces, I mean, and they break they break apart that team into kind of yeah. some components, which I think are very essential here, right? You can't, you can't effectively move forward with any kind of business intelligence without some sort of, you know, kind of someone who's kind of leading the helm, pushing the direction here, right? Because in business or in anything, right? If you don't have clear leadership, you're going to have rabbit trails all over the place. People are going to get distracted. You'll think you're on a important topic and it's not, or you'll be in the, uh, you know, I get it all the time, even my workflow to the, during the day, right? I have, I have to write down my goals for the day so I can know where I'm going and how to get there. If I don't do that, I get distracted by this article from Chris Webb who talks to me about this new incremental refresh thing. And I spend half a day thinking through this article and like how this would like, so yes, that was good. Yes. It was probably helpful to some degree, but you get distracted, you, you get off track. So having a team that centralizes that information that can articulate and implement strategies from that executive sponsor. So 
in my opinion here is when you go down a little bit further in the article, it talks about an article that a diagram that depicts the different roles, mm-hmm. executive sponsor, the center of excellence, and then the working team, which includes the center of excellence, business subject matter experts. You know, there's probably a master data management team, engineering, security, and IT, right? These are all the teams that are that need to communicate together. This is more of a working session of, hey, team, we're all going to use the same kind of tool. Let's get on the same page so we all can get in the same direction. The executive sponsor sets the main objective, right? Here's where we're, here's the big vision of where we need to go with data and how we serve it to our internal customers or even external for that matter. The center of excellence has a lot of responsibility and I really do think there needs to be a minimum of one person that is dedicated to a center of excellence. It could be full-time their job, could be not full-time their job, but there has to be someone who's responsible for aggregating the information across the company and then trying to integrate with all these different pieces. And you're kind of really like this mouthpiece of executive sponsor said this, hey, everyone, let's get on the same page. Let's let's form best practices together. Let's go research. I had to be an expert in Power BI because to your point, Tommy, you say a lot of the words of like, What's the art of the possible? We don't know. How big should a model be? How complicated should it be before I hand it out to business users? There's there's trade-offs on all those decisions. You need someone to understand like what works for your business. Because it's, I mean, generally it's the same, but I think there's going to be nuances here and there. I'll pause. I said a lot of things. I'm sorry. No, I agree. I mean, but it, so this this conversation comes off of the original BI strategy, right? So at this point, there is like a top-down view of some of the major initiatives that an organization wants to tackle, right? The the value of small working groups like this, I would say, are that it's it's the initiation and ownership is probably the COE, right? The the drivers of who are part of that group, as the we're creating the meetings, we're scheduling these cadence, we're we're solving you know, the overall problem that are defined by, you know, the executive team, like as far Mm -hmm. as directionally. Um, But working teams like this are fantastic. And one of the reasons being is it puts, it puts into play um, the, the stakeholders from all the areas. And, and they're extremely valuable because it's not just IT driving a bunch of initiatives that they think are right. It's including the business side and the business strategies and the different things that their day-to-day are trying to plug into as and making that part of this um, working team output most likely because like these strategies have to coincide with one another and bi strategies typically are the ones that are most i think aligned with business because we're Mm -hmm. we're beholden there we're accelerators like it's a team that is either doing the key strategic reporting for the organization or um, being a, a, a the, having the possibility to be an accelerator for um, each different business unit it, by assisting people, by like uh, providing the infrastructure, by like, like all of the things that that team can do to raise the bar of individuals that are just data stewards or trying to do manual work within those other teams. Anyway, like a lot going on, but having having the this team um, break down probably the how do we go about executing on these higher level goals um, is is really valuable. One area of this article that I struggle with here is it talks a lot about this in a very 
large company way, yeah. right? It's talking about yeah. there is an executive sponsor. There is one to many people in the center of excellence. Love maybe that a dedicated team that's around that. Um, there's a working team and this working team has like a ton of people in it, right? I, this is my exact thought. <laughs> I guarantee while, while, while I, while I understand the concept of no. like listing out the different roles and everything that's going on here, I think when this actually rolls out, you're looking at like way less people. And these are, these are less about people and these are more about functional roles that are happening inside this. 100%. So regardless whether or not the working team is two people or one person and someone from IT or one person from the business and one person from IT, that IT person or that business person potentially is wearing lots of hats, yeah. right? That business person may be the subject matter expert. That business person may also be the master data team and doing all the data engineering for whatever they need and handling a lot of the security things for their data stuff. Like right. they're, they're governing like, so I'm, what I'm trying to articulate here is I think this comes in many forms. And as you think about the entire part of an organization, even inside a, a big organization, you have pockets of this even occurring inside a single department or a single team. And, and it's, it gets harder to align this across an entire company all at once. You need a lot more communication. You need a lot more buy-in from a lot of different stakeholders. And sometimes you get to a place where other teams aren't willing to play with you because that's like, that's not my thing. Yep. I'm not paid yep. to come in here and help you yep. out with your stuff. I'm just going to do my job and, and get my things done. And I'm just going to sit here in Excel and do my thing in Excel. That's all I want. Leave me alone. But and it's so a it's a culture thing. But it's a fantastic point, it, especially in, in context of, of this article. Do, do not get hung up right away if it's like, well, we don't have those people. Or we don't, like, that's, that's one person. Or that, that would be like two people. To, so what I would say is, great point, Mike doesn't matter skip down to understand the working team purpose and responsibilities yes, because right. ultimately the in in a large organization you need all of these you know individuals and they're probably individualized roles but contextually it's it's placing these roles here so that you can dive in and clearly um, produce the output that that team is supposed to but if you're one person it doesn't mean that you can't go down and, and do what uh, the, the article recommends that this team is going to do collectively, right? right? And mm -hmm. so if we, if we focus in on a, on a high level, right, the responsibilities of that team are planning and preparation. Yes. Right. right? So we've got a strategy. It's, it's the high level, right? How, how do we go about defining what those timelines are? What are the deliverables? You guys mm -hmm. talked about that. But like if you're if you're defining a deliverable, you can you can measure it. Yes. Right? How do we measure those deliverables? When are they supposed to be done? And what are the big milestones? Typically, a whole bunch of these little deliverables, you know, bundled up into a by this point in time, we're going to you know hit whatever. Um, it, I do. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I was just gonna say I I love those points because. What Mike to your point, like the the working team six through seven engineering security IT may be the same person. Um, it doesn't mean they're all individual people, it's about their responsibilities. But Seth, I mean, I'm thinking it's almost like a chicken the egg, right? Where yeah, you need the team in place, but I, I I'm going back to 
Well, they have to trust in the outcome in order for them to be effective, right? Because to your point, if they're like, this is put on me, why? Why am I going to be, you know, spending my time, not just in meetings, but trying to have deliverables that I don't see why this is going to be so impactful to an organization? Those are not, that's not a good effect, uh, an effective working team. Um, this goes back to the uh, solutions and the goal, but everyone on that team, just like we've established at the beginning of this episode, just because someone's in Power BI does not mean they're effective in Power BI just because they're working in it. And very similar to this team, just because you have people in that role doesn't necessarily mean they're effective if they don't know what they're working towards. Um, I will always go back and I, I will lay down on the idea that is start people have to trust in what they're doing and have to believe in it. And that starts with those goals and initiatives. It's a delicate balance because how do you have the initiatives and goals if you don't have a team? So how do you get people in a sense buying in? You're start you, you're trying to basically preach the gospel of business intelligence in so many words. You need people on board. And those people are going to define those goals and initiatives. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Right? And and I think I even <laughs> there might be some cyclical thought as we yeah. go through these Tuesdays. But I, I think I agreed with you last time. If there was yeah. one point I made in all of the strategic planning and, and discussion that we were talking about, it's it was don't just do something because somebody asked you to. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like, are we all collectively moving in the right direction? And or are are there checks and balances across what we're accomplishing on our day to day? Or is our entire day just virtuous waste? which is a, a term, you know, Mike and I like have talked about, we had podcast on it, yeah. right? Where just because you're doing something and typically it was like, I'm manually grabbing data and I spend two hours of my day massaging data. Like if there's a way to automate that, that's probably a better use of your time as opposed to yep. doing this same rote thing every day. And I think if I would recommend in this one as, as well, if you find yourself in positions where all you're doing is the same thing every day, if that doesn't align to your business getting somewhere, right? And I'm not saying there isn't stuff that we have to do, right? But look to optimize. Look to like, what is the larger goal? How do you stretch yourself? How do you stay engaged? How do you stay interested? How are you helping your customers? How are you? All of that is so much easier and so much better for organizations that clearly define that for everybody and let them see that than those that don't because otherwise you're just taking whatever your manager gives you or you're just doing the same thing you've always done and you don't know how your work is helping the organization because you're just in this little department over here and that's what goals and objectives and big things in an organization why they're helpful because it enlists everybody to get engaged. Read down that one for sure. So I, to me, I would almost, I wouldn't switch the steps, but the, the first step here is so crucial in order for the ball to get rolling. I think there's the talk about the executive sponsor and in the same, in the same kind of context, just because you have an executive sponsor does not mean they're effective. And I'll pose the question. Can you, can Starting implementation of Power BI survive without an effective executive sponsor. Let's. I don't. I don't. I think effective is not the right question to ask here in this okay. situation. I think the. I think the answer is, um, 
is your executive sponsor actually acting like an executive sponsor? And right mm -hmm. here in the article, it actually kind of details out like there. So we know there's an executive sponsor. Let's let's align. And I think a lot of times when we, when we talk about these terms, it's we need just to, to define what they are and what they're expected to do, the, the roles and expectations. Right. And to my to your point, Tommy, you know, are they effective? Well, the measure of effectiveness is are they doing the things that are described in this article that are helping us move the initiative forward, right? So here they talk about the roles and responsibilities of that executive sponsor are to support the working team and support the center of excellence, remove blockers. If you don't have access to data, they go get it for you. Right. Uh, you're having an issue with this team who's not, you know, IT is not playing well with the, the central, the COE. The executive sponsor steps in and says, hey, IT, I need help getting this team unblocked because of XYZ things. We are going to own the responsibility of this. What do we need to do to give you to let us do our job, right? Kind of thing, right? They need to allocate resources. So there's got to be some level of budgeting that is associated with the executive sponsor. That's got to be able to throw some weight around and get people funding, money, roles, or staffing. They've got to have some responsibility there. They've got to uh, advocate for the initiative, right? Um, you have to deliver, but as, as the one who's in the center of excellence a lot of times, build the SharePoint page, document the things, Put out the models, publish stuff. If you produce things, have physical things that you've actually checked the boxes off on, you give that executive sponsor a lot of ammunition to say, look what we're doing. We're, we're making things happen. We're producing value. And here's why and how you can get access to these reports and things. So I think that really um, uh, accelerates that team. And then finally, the executive sponsor should be thinking about strategic decisions. As, as I think of myself as a consultant, I really feel myself as being like a rent a center of excellence to a lot of these companies, right? Uh, a rent a COE. I show up, I help you figure out where the, where the hiccups are going to be, right? Uh, I help you figure out like, where's the, where's the easy wins that we can get ahead of right now? How do we build these models in a way that is usable? And, and what are the, where are the pitfalls that we should be thinking about? I'm providing that ammunition to executive sponsors and they're like, yeah, this makes sense. Let's implement some of this. We do it. We get some feedback. We change our process. We make it better. And, and what happens is the, the executive sponsor says, okay, I see that we're winning here. Here's something that's really hard for us to do. This is a data thing that we've never had access to, or this is an analysis that we've always wanted to do, but we've never quite had the information. How do we get to that? And they put out that larger milestone that says, here's where we need to get to. We don't have the data that supports whatever that that analytical thing is, and they help you set the larger initiatives that then the COE and the business can then start go to tackling. So to your point, to your question earlier, Tommy, how do you know if your COE, if your executive sponsor is effective or not? I think it really boils out into what roles and how well are they supporting these four kind of outlined bullet points here? Are they really doing those four things or not? Seth? Did you ask that? You asked like, can you do it without, or can you can you survive without an effective COE? That was the mm. initial question. Matthew Roach would say no. He says your first. Matthew Roach no. would say he would say your. I first... don't need Matthew Roach to say no. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if the person who's been doing BI for what thirty right. years, twenty years, he's got, he's, 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 got he's, yeah. he's got me in time and and knowledge. Then if he says. If you want your Power BI initiative win, you will have an executive sponsor, and that is the number one success criteria of will Power BI or even BI and business intelligence be a success in any organization. It's an executive sponsor. 
So I, I think a lot of this hinges on, again, you know, how effective is your executive sponsor, right? I think, I think the center of excellence can compensate for a lot of these needs that are not quite there. Mm. You can do a lot of pre-work to make your executive sponsor look amazing. And I think as we think about this, if we can make our executive sponsor look like a rock star with the planning and the, the goal setting and all, I'm cool with that. I'm totally fine for just feeding them a bunch of information and saying, here's what we think we're going to be doing. I think this will work for our organization and just feeding him a bunch of stuff and letting him take credit for it because that makes him feel good. makes him feel like he's investing in the right people in the team. He has trust in the center of excellence to know what they're doing. And then he enables, he removes blockers. Oh, I see this as being useful. Let's help them out. Let's get them going. They know what they're doing. Let's unblock them so they can get their stuff done. Yeah. I, there, there are, I think many different pieces within um, a make or break of an executive mm -hmm. sponsor. Um, to, to Mike's point, a, a lot of what he's, a lot of what he's describing to me or the way I'm absorbing it is information to an executive sponsor with an assumption that they aren't the ones that already intimately know this. And the challenge there is like, I, you're ideally your executive sponsor is the one championing a lot of these thoughts and ideas because they have to be in the executive arena. Right. And if, if, if there is no push from them, then to Mike's point, are they looking for it or is the organization, but, but to me, that would lead me to believe that the organization on an executive level already understands that they need this. They just don't know how. And then they're more willing to listen to a mic, right? Say, here's everything you need to need to do. And that, like that, that's a great relationship because they, they just didn't know how correct. Now they're taking your, now they're taking your strategies and applying them hmm? versus organizations that, I think if you if you look at the advent of a chief data officer, right, um, the primary role that should be driving a lot of this in organizations and driving the strategy, go out there and look at articles, right? Like that is mm -hmm. not what's happening, right? right. Like that there are there are some that are no data engineering. There are some that are like have very specific business cases, but there are very few. That are that actually comprehensively understand or have the experience of what a consultant does within for, like organizations and sees what the impact is when there are centralized teams that are acting like actual centralized business intelligence teams, meaning they aren't the ones building all the reports for the organizations. They're building key reports and their objectives are to build all of the stuff that we're talking about in this implementation planning, right? Like that is a rare, rare person, right? So it, like the reason that's important is those have to be conversations. So all of the other executive leaders know and understand that this is a major initiative that they want to invest in and look for opportunities versus it always being upstream as just a different use case that the business needs to solve. That's one. The second one in here, I think you want me to pause? No, no, you're good. You're good. The second one in here is, and I think pivotal around that is if you don't have consensus, you won't get resources. And the problem typically is if people are engaging and um, identifying all of this uh, on any level, 
as far as I want to implement Power BI, I want to be a driver, et cetera, you're not volunteering to do this on your free time. You have probably all of the other responsibilities of the day-to-day -day, generating reports, doing whatever. And that does become challenging because these are great ideas, but without resource support, there are certain things you absolutely cannot do. And that would be like, how do you engage the larger populace of employees with a strategy or a plan or let alone support them? And we all know, like the minute that happens, boom, there's going to be a flood and then you're not going to be able to support them. So what do they do? Go back to what they were doing and they, and you don't get a second chance. So I think that that is why this is really important. This person or the strategy to like, get them engaged, get an executive sponsor before going down like full bore into some of these implementation and strategic planning kind of things. And that's not to say that you can't incrementally make a difference in your organization. It's just, those are the pivotal ones where you have to convince somebody if they don't, you know, aren't aligned on the same track as you, because ultimately it, it is the allocation of people and energies to go towards solving those problems because they believe that they are problems. And then you get into like the goal setting and initiatives and strategy. It's interesting you bring up this, the CDO, 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 the chief data officer in the context, because it makes a lot of sense, but, and the, I don't want to say the failures there, but still ill-defined. Um, there's not a one size fit all implementation for Power BI or, or business intelligence, no. right? No, and, it makes right. Pretty, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's such a big point here because the needs of an organization around data and the needs around the impact of that data, not just data, not just data, the impact of that data is defined based on the technology already in place, the culture already in place, and the schema, or the, not the schema, but how the teams organize, what their goals are, and the role of that COE or CDO or business, really business intelligence is defining the impact. How can we have impact around those teams and departments? I mean, and, Right. What you're describing is the people, the people process, right? Yeah. Process yeah. and the technology. Same, right? I mean, it's yeah. a, it, it's the so same it's language, right? right? You know, the tech defines certain things. The process on how you get stuff done defines certain things, and then the people's knowledge or what they understand and how they know how to work with those tools right. and processes defines whether or not this is successful. And I keep going back to that because it just it's you true. just described it in different words, but like you were talking about like it's. It's what the combination of those things are. And what we're talking about here is this is a mix of people and process. We haven't even talked about the technology yet. This right. whole article, strategic planning at this point, is all about aligning where we want to go. Right. And, and you know, strategic, that's the people side. And then thinking about, okay, how's the process we're going to get that done? What does that look right. like for our company? And then that where do we want to go is the net benefit or the net impact that's going to have. What will change when we complete this that we don't have today? What will teams be doing differently or more effectively and more productively? Um, that goes to the assessment side of this. And th there's a big article, part of this article that uh, I, I don't think we can dive into right now, but I want to so badly um, around the conducting research and understanding because that's part of that. It does, there's no one size fit all. The ability to conduct the pain points, where do people want to go? How are the teams getting their data now and what are they doing with it? Understanding that defines the strategy. 
it's going to define the strategy. Understanding how the teams are interacting with data, communicating with data, uh, accessing their data is going to define the strategy because when you understand how the teams are doing those processes and what technologies, you're going to understand the barriers that they have. The barriers, hopefully as a CDO or the COE, understands the impact to go, they may not tell you, hey, we have a list of things that we want around data. That's not going to happen. But it's that ability to say, oh, you guys are doing things a certain way. You don't even know that this solution's out there. And I can tell you, or the COE can tell you, there is such a benefit out there that we can implement because that's going to alleviate these problems that you may not even see as a problem, like the giant Excel files. No one's going to say Excel is a problem because they don't know the other side of the coin, right? That we have. A th- and yeah, and those are all the, that's the, such an initial part of this because guess what? When you... Seth, you were saying that you only have one chance and people go their own ways. Well, the other side of the coin is as soon as you introduce the impact of business intelligence, the impact of Power BI, all of a sudden now you're flooded with with requests and uh, projects and uh, 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 solutions that people want implemented. If you do it right, that first introduction is like, oh, no, no, we want something now. Now we want something. Now all of a sudden you have to expand your resources. Yeah, but that's but that the the challenge with that is you're already assuming that that door is open for all organizations, right? Right. And and you mm-hmm. excitement yeah. only goes so far, Tommy, and you know that. Yeah. Right? And that, yes. now, now you do bring up an, a really the other interesting point that I have stepped in the muck in <laughs> as well, which is. Because of our experience, I can say as a consultant, every single place I went into, now regardless of what I was there for, because those were different, Mm -hmm. every single one, when you get into conversations, there was always, always multiple areas where we couldn't engage or we were directly engaging Mm -hmm. in solving automation for people doing manual work. And in large part, a lot of time that was around finance or financial reporting. Mm-hmm. A lot of manual work there. Was, there. there were yeah. certain organizations yes. where there was, it was three weeks of manual work to generate the report right before the next month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you had, you had one day to make a decision. And that's an extreme <laughs> use case. But no, at the but same time, like... It happens. Every department <laughs> we walk into. So uh, who's generating the reporting for you? Uh, this guy over here. Okay. Uh, how 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 many hours a week are you spending in just data movement stuff? Four to six, okay. Uh, this department over here, uh, this woman is doing the reporting for 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 this. How many hours a week are you spending in you know generating reporting? Oh well, some weeks not at all, but then the next week like twenty. Mm-hmm. Like the I think the frustration is when you're describing situations like this. They. I think I think most organizations don't know the amount of wasted time, and it is it's straight up right. wasted. It's hard to measure that, yeah, because people don't have access to data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or they don't know how to like automate these things that could be automated, right? And and where that presents challenges is don't when you're engaging an executive sponsor, don't assume that they're going to know that. Like you right. can't lead with an assumption that they understand all of the the time and cost savings and efficiency that would prove a point for resources because it doesn't right. work. 
this is a, I li- really like your point there, Seth, as well. Um, it's very hard to quantify the speed in which you'll save on things. And I, I have another example. I have another story around this as well. This is where, I mean, again, I'm leaning on my history of like how this has worked. We were working with an organization. They had, and this is, this is, this speaks to how far the technology has come from where people have been used to doing data things. They were talking to me about, well, we have all this data on a server that is our transactional information and all of our orders and all the da, 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 da. They had all this information that was available to them. And we built a single data model that captured all of their transaction history for all customers for their entire company's life. And they were like, it's all right here. I made a single model that <laughs> described everything they needed transactionally yeah. f- for everything. And they were blo- their mind was blown because they were typically used to going to get minimal checks because their system would only support data dumping so much out of into Excel and then once you had an Excel, now what? What what tools do we have that can push the Excel file data around in order to get it to this next level? So we were able to automate a majority of just people, like literally people's entire day was spent just moving data around and trying to produce reports to figure out what is happening with our company and what is going on. We took that knowledge. Again, the value is in that person. That person had developed a process. They knew what to do with the data. They knew what in the data was impactful to them. So I just had them re-articulate to me, tell me what you're trying to do with your information. And from there, we built an entire data model. So one PBX file had all their data. That was huge for them. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this is amazing. This is going to change how we do things because now I can build endomer reports on top of this single model and utilize that to do all of our reporting. It, it, it simplified so much of their daily workload. So now every night, the, the file goes back out. You just refresh itself, gets its right. new data in, bada bing, bada boom. The data loads up. And now they're, this is, this is what blows my mind. They're on a pro license. Like it was right. like $10 a month saves you so much time long term. It was just huge. It was just very, again, a really good story. But again, smaller companies, I think, find a lot of, can find a lot of value out of this immediately. And I think you're defining something to me where I called, how do we, how do we ignite the spark in order to get buy-in again, people need to see the impact or the value. And I think a lot of the strategy here, uh, when you think strategy, you think the long-term 12 months, you know, where are we going to be with the technology? No, 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 no. Strategy needs to start with how do we going to get the buy-in? Because again, each of these teams, they'll put the work in if they know the value of the uh, of the solutions going to be there to your point, Mike. I mean, that's one of those, like if I had a nickel type of uh, experiences where as soon as you've introduced that to that organization, that team, you tell them, Oh, by the way, there's more, but I need your help or there's effort. They will put the resources in place, the budget in place and the time in order to achieve that because they saw just from that one change, how much impact they had. So part of strategy is, how do we ignite the spark? Where are the lowest hanging fruit? Then we can get into the tactical. Then you can get into what solutions need to get in place. But who is most impacted? Who can be most impacted? Where do we need the most buy-in to get this off the ground? Um, that's that's For me, that's part of the focus. Whether you get the COE involved. Uh, we talked about this in other episodes, but previously too. I'm going into the COE or the the um, the uh, executive sponsor, and I'm giving them, to your point, Mike, a plan. But I'm also showing here's some of the biggest impact. What do you see? 
where can we start? What team can we get the biggest bang for our buck if we show them a proof of concept or we, we did a demo for them? Because that buy-in is so important to getting any strategy off the ground or any strategy in general. I agree. I, and, and we're at time, right? Uh, yeah. final, final thoughts yeah. from, from my side, right? And and I think Adrian, you know, makes a good, a, a good point in chat where, um, you know, there, there are certain challenges or, you know, in large part, many uh, organizations aren't deeply or engaged in organizational data culture literacy at, at all, right? Mm -hmm. Because either they don't know or they don't know the value. And, you know, hang with us. I think I think the importance of having this conversation and continually talking about the wealth of knowledge I think that Microsoft is putting out there and being a part of that conversation um, offers all of us an opportunity to, you know, holistically understand what 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 that, you know, North Star, I, I hate the term, but like what that North Star looks like so that we can make incremental steps toward it. We can be the ones that are changing our organizations, not just in what we do from a business intelligence and developing reporting because we have business, you know, we have business, we have IT, right? We, I've, I've said this before, I think business intelligence folks have probably the best vision of what can go on in an organization that's definitely manifested and magnified when organizations have clear objectives. But in all of this, like, understanding some of the fundamentals of how all of this works how do you promote and push wider adoption of data literacy and everybody learning and in growing together can have massive impacts to organizations and i think it's just a matter of time so being part of this conversation while may not be like instantly relevant where you're going to go find your executive sponsor and launch stuff right away the the initiatives may be different and slower but ultimately, mm -hmm. this is why we have this conversation, because there's a lot of value here and why I'm still excited to talk about all the rest of it. I think my last thought is I got another hour after this, guys. We can talk off. I want to keep <laughs> this going. Keep going. <laughs> well, uh, if, if, do, you, do you have an Do you want to throw another? Like, yeah. Final no, I, honestly, I think we've the best part of this is I think we only have touched on step one and a half in this entire the entire article so definitely take a look at this the ability to understand where impact is and then understand how the technology works is the most crucial part here and if you're already working this and you think how do i get this off the ground you know you have you've seen the impact it's just identifying the best places there and i'm going to go back to the point i just said there are sparks that you can ignite and different teams and organizations and identifying those will get this off the ground or is a great place to get this off the ground. I like that a lot. Um, the last thing I'll point out here for my kind of observation around things here is um, we, you're looking at three MVPs here who have been around Power BI since day one. There's, there's not many of us left who haven't been absorbed by Microsoft already. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of MVPs haven't, haven't been around the experience as long as, as we have. And, and we're very privileged to be in this pen position. Um, so, you know, one thing I'm just trying to confirm here is what the documentation Microsoft is providing here this resonates with lots of organizations. I'm trying to, you know, my main point here is. Read this article, 
Microsoft is literally giving you the keys to the castle and saying, if you follow this, this is going to improve the likelihood of success of Power BI in your organization very well. And what I can say is, in, in having to do this on my own and having to help organizations work through this already, there's a lot of great points here. You know, they, they, later on, they start talking about all the different members. What is a center of excellence member? What do they do? How do they work? Who are they hired by? What is the business as subject matter expert? What did they do? How do they integrate? Where do you create the data communication hub? Or there, there's a communication hub that needs to occur where everyone can align on these objectives and these things that you're planning for. So what I can say is in doing this work as being a consultant to this stuff, this stuff works. This is, this is a great article. And, I, and reacting to this one, this is an amazing way of really diving into and integrating yourself into uh, making Power BI win for your organization. Again, it's not a silver bullet. It won't fix everything for every organization, but I think there's a lot of key insights and or findings. If you learn and internalize this, I can't imagine you won't find some level of success with doing things in Power BI. And this is very transferable right now. Most of the strategic planning that we're going to talk through in this article, this could be applied to any initiative in any part of a business. This doesn't have to be specifically for data. This seems like it would work for many different things you're, you're trying to do uh, and communicate and change management of things. Anyways, with that great article, I love where we're going with this one. Uh, I'm very happy that Microsoft is continually increasing, uh, you know, what does Microsoft know and taking their experts and then just sharing the information. I think it's very wise for them to, to do that. Because the people that take notice uh, will be able to find much more value from the tool that they're they're using. With that, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. We had a lot of good discussion on LinkedIn. We've been trying to answer comments there as well as on YouTube as well. So thank you very much for participating live. We really appreciate your listenership and engaging with the conversation. If you found this to be valuable, if you got some nuggets of wisdom here that you thought was interesting or you learned something new, we'd really appreciate it if you would recommend the podcast to somebody else. That's the only way we get the word out here. We don't spend money on advertising. We don't. We just do the podcast and hope people hear about it and participate. So please let someone else know that you found value from this and we'd love to continue to talk with you about it. So feel free to jump in, send us messages as well, um, but please share it with somebody else. Tommy, when else can you find and where can you find the podcast? Well, we'll start with the where. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating. It helps us out a ton. Do you have a question, an idea, or a topic that you want us to talk about on a future episode? Head over to powerbi.tips/podcast. Leave your name and a great question. Maybe it's around implementation. Doesn't matter. Join us live every Tuesday, Thursday, seven thirty a.m. Central, and join the conversation on all of Power BI Tips social media channels. And if nothing else, maybe we're just like the uh, the therapy session for your data problems. Maybe if, it, if nothing else, maybe That's it's. I feel. <laughs> I mean, Tommy and I for yes, sure think this is a uh, a place where we can rant and rave about this this stuff. And I need this. This they're describing my problem. They're describing my problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly right. So, um, thank you all for participating. We we love your community. You guys are doing such a great job. Uh, keep winning with Power BI and check out these articles. I think it'll help you uh, make your your path smoother. Thank you all very much, and we'll catch you next time.